So without further ado, I'd like to welcome my great friend and advocate and, and just leader in the space, Mr. Montel Williams. Let's give it up. Thank you. Josh, thank you. Give it up for Josh Crosley. Give it up for Josh, please. Well, good afternoon, Long Beach. How's everybody doing? Good. You know what? I think it was, uh, we just had lunch, right? Everybody stand up where you are for a second. Stand up. Come on, stand up. Everybody stand up. You guys in the back, get out of the back row. Move up. You're going to make me walk all the way back there to you. Come on now. Move up, move up, move up, move up, move up, move up. Good. And though while we're waiting on them to move up, everybody who's standing now, hmm, isn't this kind of weird? This is the first time as many people have been in the same room in about, what, three years? So let's do something a little strange. I want everybody in the room to take your hands, put them right here. Can you see me? You can see me. Put your hands right here. Shake them around like this. Now turn to your left. Your, your other left, sir. Yeah, left, left, left. Now, as you notice, there's a big gap between some of you and the people in front of you. I want you to walk across that gap. Take these hands and place them on the shoulders of the person in front of you. Go ahead. Walk across the gap. Walk across. Go ahead. Walk across. Walk across. You guys are the mask. You can walk across and touch them, too. It's okay. Walk across. You got your mask on. Walk across. Get behind somebody. There you go. Yes, yes, yes. Got your hands on their shoulders. Now, listening to the directions very, very carefully without hurting anyone, I'd like you to shake the shoulders of the person, person in front of you. Wake them up a little bit. Come on now. You just ate. Stop. Turn around and face the right. Wait, I didn't tell you to put your hands on anybody. I told you to put that. So turn around and face the right. Take your hands down. Take your hands, put them here, shake them on the shoulders. Wake them up. Stop. Turn and face forward. Facing forward. Take your hands. Place them on your own shoulders. Place them out in front of you. Take them a little bit. Shake them down here. If you knew how silly you looked, you wouldn't do this. Go ahead. Okay, go back to your seat. And those in the back, thank you for moving up a little bit. Good. Now, isn't that a trip? I just walked in the room, told a whole room full of people to walk across the room, reach out and touch somebody. First off, none of y'all were scared of COVID. Number two, none of y'all were scared of the person because of the way they looked or what they might be. Yeah, we're living in a nation right now that is so divided, so mean and nasty, that in other settings... I bet you I couldn't get people to touch person, especially if the person in front of them happened to be a different color. So you need to give yourselves a big applause for at least recognizing the fact that we are all one people. Please, applaud yourself. And I really mean that. All one people who've come together for a really good reason. We've all come together here for this conference because I gotta tell you, Josh has been blowing this thing up and making it making us all understand the relevance and importance scientific data behind this miracle plant that we all love so much. Before I go into detail about that, first off, in this room, if you are a clinician, investigator, scientist working on cannabis, raise your hand. Matter of fact, don't raise your hand, stand up. And I want everybody seated to go ahead and give them a big round of applause. And for all of you who are working on cannabis as a clinician, what are you working on, sir? Uh, cannabis distillate. Distillate. And you're working on it to improve the way we make it? The overall throughput. Okay. And what are you working on, buddy? I am a healthcare professional that is working on a platform to become the WebMD of cannabis for the public, to educate the public and educate healthcare professionals. There you go. And let's come over here because I know who you are. This is Tracy. Brian, guys, give her a big round of applause. Tracy has been leading, you know, I, 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 I appreciate what Josh said that I have been, you know, an advocate for cannabis long before this was Vogue. Let's get this straight. You know, 22 years ago when I stepped out and said, I'm using, a lot of people ran to the door. I didn't get a lot of backing. I didn't get support like this. And now all of a sudden, in some cases, because so many people are looking at this as an opportunity to make so much money, now we got people who've jumped aboard the bandwagon, but there are people out there like this lady who knows, walks the walk, talks the talk, 
in it. If you don't know who Tracy is, Tracy, real quick, tell them who you are, dog. I'm Tracy Ryan, the former founder of Canna Kids, mother to Sophie Ryan, and the new co-founder and chief communications officer of Incor Biotherapeutics. Hey, 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 let me let me just say something. She, along with this lady here, Dr. Jewett. Dr. Jewett. Hi. Tell them who you are. I'm professor and uh, director of tumor immunology laboratory at UCLA. Who you're at a cannabis conference. She's going to give a talk later on today. You got to make sure you go there at four o'clock to hear this because I know like me, a lot of you must be as sick as I am. Every time you hear another politician on TV say, well, if they just did some more research, I would support this if there was more research. The lies out of those faces, knowing that we have been funding research for cannabis for now 70 years. How much more research do we need? However, this doctor, along with Tracy, and because utilizing her daughter as basically a guinea pig, I'm going to say it that way, has figured out something that I don't know, like we're at a science conference, so let me break a little science down to you. In February of this year, out of Australia, doctors have now realized that certain combinations of CBD and THC have an effect on the replication of cancer cells, some of the most virulent cancer cells on the planet. I'm talking about pancreatic cancer. But this woman has been working on a real deal. Tell them a little bit. Can you just give them a little nutshell? Make sure they just just tease them because you want them to be there at 4 o'clock. Yes. Uh, so we're looking at NK cells and how cannabis is affecting the NK cells. And what are NK cells? Natural killer cells. So these are the most important cells that fights cancer, basically. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And also, we what we discovered was that these uh, these these compounds are are actually targeting cancer stem cells, which is very important. Which is basically what NK cells do uh, target these aggressive cancers. And in addition to that, we found that uh, cannabis also increases the function of NKs, which is amazing to me. And, and the, I mean, I'm gonna give you a hand for this, but just think about this for a second. You know, we supposedly, you know, put a system in the place that we could discover a vaccine for a virus in racket. What do they call it? They call it light speed or whatever the name of that thing was. Where now we already knew before. Here's something that I, I, I'm going to let the doctor answer this. Is it not a fact that now there are doctors in various places around the world who have now discovered unequivocally that CBDA and CBDG, I'm sorry, CBGA, both bind to the spike protein of the COVID virus and can stop its proliferation and can actually control the cytokine storm that happens when you're infected. Is that, a lot? Is that the truth? That's correct. So why are we not implementing some rocket pace to come up with a cure for COVID made of cannabis, which could be done? That's exactly what we're planning on doing. That's exactly what we're planning on doing, but why do we have to wait? And I'm sorry, I'm going to ask someone, what are you working on, sir? Uh, I'm the editor-in-chief of Edibles Magazine, and so we're investigating everything, but now we're working with both the VA and the American Legion to do medicinal-grade cannabis for veterans suffering from PTSD. Thank you so much, and that's a project that's very near to my heart. I'm working on the same thing right now. And what are you working on, sir? So we build analytical technologies and platforms for um, new ways of analyzing cannabis, but we also support clinical trials for things like depression, PTSD, those types of things. So if I, if I didn't get to you, I can applaud all of you for all the hard work that you guys are doing. Please. Thank you so much. Thank you. Go ahead and sit down. So Cannabis Science Conference. This is all about trying to make people understand that this isn't just hype when we talk about the effectiveness of this plant. This is the truth. But you have to stop and ask yourself, why? Why are, is the truth being fought so much? We recognize that in the last 15 years in America, all of a sudden, science is a bad word. All of a sudden, truth is a bad word. Whereas before that, it wasn't. But now it's only the truth that you tell is the, the truth rather than the real truth. You know, and trying to figure out why do we accept this? Now, all the others who didn't stand up when I said, are you doing research? Are you just can of curious people? Or are you people who were 
just uh, in the business. Who are you? Who are some of you people that didn't stand up? Who are you? Dr. B.J. Sideri, the second physician in the state of Ohio to recommend cannabis under the Ohio House Bill. Excellent. I did some lobbying in, in Ohio, so good. And just, man, what do you do? Stand up. I'm coming to you. Here I am. Yes, ma'am. My name's Lorraine, and I walked out of Big Pharma and my job in pharmacy to come join the cannabis revolution. There you go. A smart move. But I will tell you something. I'm glad you gave them up because that's part of the problem that we have right now still today. Not just with cannabis. That's part of the problem you have as a nation. They are the ones who are controlling the strings of the puppets in Washington, D.C. that and make sure that they want to maintain the ability to make money off your suffering. Yes, ma'am. My name is Pega Panahi. I'm a pharmacist, and I left pharmacy school. And I established the very first cannabinoid compounding pharmacy, which is called Hempudic. Here we go. So I'm in a room filled with people who you'd acquire. So I really shouldn't be talking to you. So I'm just going to go. No. No, I shouldn't be talking to you because you all get it. But unfortunately, I don't believe you get it as much as you should be getting it. Before I go into some things that I'm going to say, I'm going to make sure I say this right at the top. I'm not here today to piss you off, make you mad. I'm here to make you angry today because this is the group that needs to be the angriest in America today. Those who know the truth, recognizing the truth will set us free. I need to make you angry enough that you do something about it. And I'm not talking about you do something about it because you do lab research. I'm not talking about it because you run a magazine. I'm talking about you do something by connecting with a neighbor, someone who doesn't believe in cannabis. This industry has done itself, let me tell you something, 20 years it's been 20 years since I held a press conference saying, I don't care what you think of me. I'm one of those people that you look at, look down upon who uses cannabis. Why? Let me go back and tell you a little bit about me. First off, really got to go back really early. And part of the reason why is because I think that's part of the reason why I even have the affliction that I have today. I was born in 1950. <laughs> Yeah, back then. In a very small little enclave in Baltimore City called Cherry Hill, which was the biggest ghetto in Cherry in Baltimore. One of the biggest ghettos on the east coast of the United States. I lived the first five years of my life with two parents who were just an unbelievable beautiful people. Lost them both this last year. They worked really hard to make us think that we were normal even though we were as poor as we were. I grew up one and a half blocks from the city dump and one of the first hazardous waste cleanup sites in America, which was then Bethlehem Steel. And they had just dumped waste material in this dump that was about a block and a half from my house. And I remember as a child, three, four years old, being forced by the older kids to run along the edges of the trash to see if I could scare the rats out so some of the older kids could shoot them with BB guns. I wonder why now I have a neurological disease. Got one very early on because I was playing in such hazardous waste as a child. But I don't know. Associated, I don't know. But nobody cares. That same community lives there right now. They dug up that hazardous waste dump, put a swimming pool in, and had the nerve to say they were doing something for poor people. I'll see what happens 10 years from now when they finally realize that they've been letting kids swim in a pool that's just as vile as the dump that was there before the pool was placed there. But my family, my parents worked again really, really hard. I had two parents. Both of them worked a minimum of three jobs when I was growing up. And my father was a carpenter. He was a fireman. He was a, a musician. He used to do night gigs, day gigs, gigs all the time. That he saved up enough money to move us out of Cherry Hill to a small enclave very close to Baltimore that was called Glen Burnie and a small black community in Glen Burnie that uh, I was raised in. And then from hmm, the first grade 
on, I was literally bused to school throughout my entire 12 years of schooling. Um, and bused from our little black community to integrate the schools that were nearby. And I can remember as a child, you know, pulling up and there were people standing there screaming with picket signs and things. I had no idea what they were, but recognized that they didn't like me. That I shouldn't have been going to their school. And that's how I grew up. Um, and during that whole period of time, you know, I was constantly reminded that something was different about me. Didn't know exactly what it was, but I guess there was something that was really, really different. But rather than look at that as an impediment, I looked at that as something that motivated me. And literally, I did extremely well going to school. I, um, I don't think I saw a grade below an A before the ninth grade. And those grades that I did see below that, they were for other reasons other than academics. It was just certain teachers didn't like the fact that I was even in their classroom. I went on to become the president of my class two years in a row, junior year, senior year. I was a student on the Board of Education in Anne Arundel County, the first one assigned to the Board of Education. I ended up um, participating in, in politics at the student level. So I was a uh, parliamentarian for the Maryland Association of Student Councils. I was uh, on the Chesapeake Bay Association of Student Councils board. So I did a lot of work as an advocate kid. And I think that's what kind of like stuck this in me to be an advocate. Um, graduated, did very well. And then instead of going straight to college, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. And the reason why I did so was because you know, we were just coming out of the Vietnam War. Really, Vietnam War was still in. I'm considered a Vietnam vet when I entered. I entered on a delayed program. So got right out of high school, went away to Paris Island to boot camp. Uh, got very quickly promoted. I was meritorious promoted out of boot camp. And then went to my first duty station. And rather than do the job I was supposed to do, they put me in a position as what's called a troop handler. And because of that, I got meritoriously promoted again and then again. Somebody finally came up to me and said, Dude, I tell you, you know, you're, you're doing this a little quick. You know, have you ever thought about being an officer? And I was like, I wouldn't want to do that. So we can get you to go to this place called the Naval Academy. And I said, I grew up 15 minutes from that place. I should go down and try to roll them dudes in those white uniforms. But I ended up being accepted to the Naval Academy prep school. And I entered the prep school uh, with 40 other Marines. Only 20 of us graduated. Out of those 20 that graduated, only 13 of us got appointments to the Naval Academy. Out of the 13 that got appointments to the Naval Academy, only four of us graduated. One of those four, so I had to almost a 90% attrition rate. I went on to then serve as a special duty intelligence officer. Uh, and that was part of what was kind of crazy, because right before I graduated from the academy, I almost went blind completely in my left eye. This was right after... We had just been given our pre-commissioning immunizations and my body reacted to them and it probably wasn't a causal effect, but because of the sometimes immune response to certain immunizations, my body responded and I probably would have had MS anyway. However, it was probably what helped to trigger the first bout. Back then, we're talking 1980, most science, there had only been maybe two publicly known African-Americans who had been diagnosed with MS before me. One, Richard Pryor. That was, they thought, because of his crack use. The other was Lola Falana. But what they ended up finding out is the fact that because I am of biracial descent, my mother was half Scottish. She carried the gene that probably was the Viking disease that ended up giving me the MS. But the military didn't figure that out. So I graduated from the academy and literally got put on a medical hold because they couldn't understand what was wrong with me. Finally, my vision came back. Marine Corps wouldn't take me back because you have to have correctable vision to 2020 to be in the Marine Corps. So I ended up having to go into the Navy as a special duty intelligence officer. Immediately went off to the Defense Language Institute here in Monterey, California. Got a degree in Russian and fought what back then was our enemy. <laughs> Little did I know that the same people who were trying to kill me, all of a sudden we were going to buddy up to. That entire time I was in the military, I was not able to use cannabis. 
I had always recognized a pleasure I had gotten out of cannabis before I went in the military, but I put it aside because we got tested. So you couldn't, I was tested literally because of my particular specialty. I was tested probably once every two or three months. So it was kind of crazy. The amount of times I had, I hold some of the highest clearances that the U.S. government has. And still, even today, after having been out for 30 years, I still can't talk about some of the things I did while on active duty. The security screen preclude me from doing so. I'd probably go to jail if I did. I stayed away from cannabis. It wasn't until getting out, I transitioned out and went through a program where I literally spoke across this country to almost a million and a half young people in high schools all across America from 1988 to 1991. Spoken about 1,500 different high schools, colleges, universities, speaking to kids in America about staying away from drugs, not dropping out and not drugging out and not getting pregnant. That's really what launched the Montel Williams show. Because in all the cities that I traveled around to, had camera crews coming out, they were amazed that I could walk into an auditorium and back then, and if you think back in time, they allowed no one to go in schools back then. I was one of the only people in this entire country who was allowed to go into a high school and literally go into a gymnasium, bring in the entire 11th and 12th grade and kick all the teachers out and have an hour conversation. They let me do this. That's part of the reason why when my show started, most adults in the country didn't know who I was, but half the kids in the country knew who I was. And that's who kept me on the air. But I was speaking around the country about all the negative effects of drugs, including cannabis. Didn't have the slightest clue that our country had, at that time, even while they were testing, throwing people in jail and doing the things that they were doing, was spending as much money, and I know a lot of you know this, but if you don't know this, that we have been funding cannabis research in this country for about 70 years. Let's make sure you get through the University of Mississippi. And why? First, Daddy Bush had started a program where they opened the door to allow patients with varied modalities an opportunity to access federal cannabis. I was grown at the University of Mississippi, some of the worst weed in the world. But they allowed individuals to have access to that. It was a congressionally mandated program. At the same time, we have a program saying that cannabis does nothing for anybody. So we researched it. Even to today, the federal government dispenses cannabis to now, I think it's only four living, surviving members of that first program. They get a canister every 15th of the month, grown at the University of Mississippi, shipped out in the U.S. mail. These guys have the right, they all have carry cards that allow them to take cannabis on top onto airplanes. Yet, we still have prohibition. We, we right now have 38 states in the District of Columbia that have some form of medical cannabis. We have 18 states that have some form of adult-use cannabis. Yet, the states that don't have any form of cannabis use are still locking up as many people today as they did five years ago. You do recognize that this year, this year, 2022, close to a half a million people will be incarcerated for simple possession. Yet, and I don't say this as an aspersion, but I say this to you to make you stop and think, yet we sit in this room and have the audacity to think that we're getting somewhere. I really think that it's time. It's not, It's way past due that this industry stops one thing that we do the worst, and it's the best thing that we do. We try to stab each other in the back as often as we can. We try to figure out how we can get over on the other dispensary as often as we can. We try to put down the other cultivator as often as we can. We try to talk shit about us. And don't even think for one second 
that the old phrase, a rising tide lifts all boats, is true? When is this industry going to come together? And it better be soon. Because let me just remind you of something. Maybe some of you don't know this. The federal government has owned a patent on cannabis since 2003. Gave themselves a patent on CBD. Patent number 6603507. 6630507B. That patent unequivocally states all of the attributes that they believe that cannabis can do. The CBD by itself. This was issued in 2003. And since then, up until 2015, 650,000 people a year went to jail over something our government claimed was efficacious and works, but at the same time, out of the side of the mouth of you, see these politicians on the news tonight, well, as sure as they do more research, there's been 35,000 peer-reviewed published research documents in the last 10 years on cannabis. 3,500 in the last year. There's more research that has been done and filed and peer-reviewed published on cannabis than any other drug in America, in the world. More than a drug that probably every single one of you have in your medicine cabinet, and if one of your children found it today, took a half a bottle of it, they'd be laying on your kitchen floor dead by the time you get home, called aspirin. We live in a time when we, and I just literally launched, relaunched my brand of THC products in Massachusetts and went to 10 different dispensaries to promote, visit, talk to patients and see if I can give them some education about why cannabis works. And I was really completely dumbfounded to see the draconian laws that we still have in place for licensed facilities. I was blown away. I mean, here's my product. It had to be behind a case and another case. And then when they sold it, they had to put it into a white bag, staple it three times, look at the person's ID. The person had to walk directly to their car. If they were seen, stopped, open up the bag on the way to the car. The cops could arrest you. This is 2022. I'm talking three weeks ago. And we accept this as an industry that's trying to, we claim to be trying to be patient-centric, trying to be civil right, personal rights sensitive. We accept this? Like I said earlier, the one thing we do really good is fight with each other. So before I even finish on, if you don't know the person sitting to the right or the left of you or behind you, right now, take a second, introduce yourself, say hello. Tell them what you do. If you have a card, if you have a card in your pocket, give it out. All right. Okay. Come back to me for a second. Everybody raise your right hand. Everybody raise your right hand. Everybody raise your right everybody raise your right hand. Everybody even at the raise your right yes. Thank you. Have me raise your right hand. I want you to repeat after me. I, I say your name. Do solemnly swear or affirm that I will reach out to someone in the next 24 hours that I met at this conference and share thoughts on how we make the cannabis world better. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. All right, put your hand out. Now, what I got? About 300, maybe 400 people in this room. So 300 people in this room. So now we have 300 advocates that were already advocates, but now you're emboldened because you had to take an oath to do something. We've got to, folks. Do you understand that 2021... Legal cannabis in America sold $25 billion worth of product. Let me put that into perspective. Milk sold at every grocery store in America didn't sell more than $16 billion worth of product. All the energy drinks combined sold $23 billion worth of products. I'm talking about only the legal sales of cannabis, $26 billion. It's estimated that the real sales of cannabis in the gray and black market is three times that, $75 billion. Think about it. 2021 alone, There is not another industry in this country that created more jobs than the cannabis industry. 2021, 107,000 jobs created by the cannabis industry. That's close to 280 jobs a day. And this year, New Jersey, New York coming on, possibly Delaware, possibly Pennsylvania expanding. We can, might look to doubling those numbers again. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a very funny story. I was on the air with the Montel Williams Show for 17 years. Thank you. <laughs> Interviewed 35,000 people seated on the stage right beside me. Did 3,300 shows. I know for a fact the Montel Williams Show generated for CBS Viacom close to $800 million over 17 years. Do you know I have last, in the last, really I've been doing it for now five years, but in the last year, last six months, have spoken to no less than 20 production companies in Hollywood, California, trying to convince them that we need to right now put a show on the air around cannabis. A show on the air that's not Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg. Not a show about a bunch of people sitting around eating and trying to get as high and stoned as they can and laughing about stupid jokes. But a show that educated and a show that gave people legitimate information to help them make positive decisions for their family and themselves when it comes to cannabis use? And do you know I've gotten a flat-out no from every single broadcast organization that I've talked to? No, we, no, we, we just, we can't. Like, we don't want to do anything about cannabis. I mean, could, could you get a group of guys together to smoke the air? They laugh about that? <laughs> laugh? Because even those in Hollywood who are smokers, who are users, aren't even convinced enough to respect what they use to give us an opportunity to educate. And I'm so sorry. That is along with the number two problem I think this industry has. We spend too much time 
And Josh, I don't mean this about you because I think this conference is probably the only really legitimate conference that I've attended where we talk about truth. All the rest of them are conferences where they're nothing more than B2B opportunities for you to talk to the other person about business and try to figure out how to buy something. When are we going to start getting patience back into the question? And let's make sure we understand when I say patience, I'm not talking about this just because I'm a staunch medical cannabis believer, but I'm a believer that anybody who gravitates to cannabis is a medical user. I don't care if you think you're a recreational user or not. If you came to cannabis because you came home and wanted to relax after your job, that's medical. If you came to cannabis because you want to sleep better at night, that's medical. If you want to lessen your stress, that's medical. So I don't believe in this recreational use bullshit. Excuse my mouth. I don't believe in it at all. I believe that every bit of it is medical. And since every bit of it is medical, why don't we in this industry start proving that we care and we're not like the pharmaceutical industry that just wants to gouge and make money off of our sickness? The second we start proving this to those other than us in the industry, the whole conversation changes. But right now, while we're so greedy trying to make sure that we can make money just for ourselves, the whole industry suffers. Because until, and I'm sorry, I'm not saying this, I'm not trying to be a political person, but we do have to take a hard look at the way politics do shake out when it comes to cannabis. You do recognize that the Fair Banking Act has passed six times. Most of the time, 2020, 20, 220 to 207 or 221 to 203, Democrat and Republican. It's passed in the House, but the Senate won't even include it in the bill. When asked the question right now, six out of 10 respondents all favor Cannabis legislative changes in America. Six out of 10. This has been the highest it's ever been. I know you've heard numbers of seven and 10. Well, it's as high as 80 to 90% among Democrats. As, as high as only 46% among Republicans. I'm just saying. Vote your will. These are the people that you like. You go ahead and do your thing. But understand that they don't like you in this industry. And believe me, it has nothing to do with not liking the industry. It won't be until, you know, Uday and Kuse get their opportunity to get their hands in this. You know, former president's sons. Once, once a couple of these Republicans, I mean, you already noticed that Boehner got out of Congress, jumped right into it. Oh, Mitch McConnell, who fights back against cannabis every step of the way, made sure that the farm bill passed so that the state of Kentucky could grow as much weed as they wanted, right? Most people don't even understand that, contrary to popular belief, Northern California wasn't always the mecca of cannabis in America. Kentucky had always been. The Cornbread Mafia is the location of one of the biggest cannabis busts by the federal government of anyone in the entire country. So we're going to have to start recognizing that as a group and as an industry, Even if Hollywood won't help us produce a show, I don't care whether it's me or anybody else, but we as an industry better come together and figure out how we take a piece of our sales and start educating the public and letting them know about these breakthroughs in science that are happening. Again, my mind was completely blown when I read the fact that we have now, they have proven this in multiple centers around the world that we could probably bring COVID to an end if we just got an isolate that was CBDG, CBDA, and CBGA, put those together, started giving those to people, it could almost have a prophylactic effect. 
we could probably all be sitting here three or four jobs before we walked in the room and there's no chance for us to get COVID. Yet everybody's talking this trash about the new wave coming. Hell with that. The American public needs to know this. The American consumer needs to know that there's doctors who have discovered ways for us to maybe even end the scourge of certain types of cancer or at least give people a better outcome. It's a good thing for all of you to know it. You're part of the business. But it doesn't do us any good if you go home and keep it to yourself. I've been doing this thing, and, and, and I don't say it this way to pat myself on the back, but I probably testified before at least 17 of the 38 states legislatures that have passed cannabis laws. I've been vocal in states where I haven't even been invited into by the, by the legislature. I've been vocal, been lobbying, been an advocate for. Sometimes, I tell you, I got to feel like, I do feel like, you know, I'm out there by myself. Even though there are stores that are there in those states, those people aren't even out. And you say, well, you know, the law restricts us from advertising. I ain't talk- you don't have to advertise your product. Just tell the truth about the entire industry. The more people hear, the more people know, the more they will start to believe. I don't believe that we are the nation of people who don't believe in science. I believe that we're just now divided because of the voices that we've listened to in the last couple of years. Do I believe that we can come back to the other side? I'm praying for it. I get disheartened when I find out that just less than three weeks ago, a busload of lacrosse playing females from the University of Delaware get stopped in Georgia by a cop who then rakes their bus and their baggages under the cold steps on the bus and says, I know I'm going to find marijuana in here. And I should say that that was a busload of black girls. Just three weeks ago. That was in Georgia. And the cop got on the bus and said, we don't have no recreational weed here. And I know y'all got some. College lacrosse players. You got a vice president who's sitting in office who's the attorney general of this state who made sure that there were as many people incarcerated after her during her tenure as attorney general than had been incarcerated before her and had the nerve to go on a radio station and laugh and say, I've used in the past. Stop. You got a president who still believes, even contrary to information that has just come out this year. Do you know that there's been a study done that tried to prove that cannabis use, they just tried to do a study to prove that cannabis use made college students between the ages of 21 and 25 less assertive, less aggressive. And what did the study prove? That college students who consumed marijuana worked on harder and tougher projects than those who didn't. But we still have governments across this country, legislations across this country, mayors across this country, who want to fight the will of the people and not allow us this. I mean, come on. I, 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 I hope that this industry learns something from the women that are in this room. Because you're going to see a battle over the next couple of years between them and our government trying to tell you what to do with your body. Let's get Congress to pass a bill that says no vasectomies. Let's get Congress to pass a bill that says no Viagra. See how fast that bill passes. It ain't happening. But just as vehemently as women are going to battle for their personal right to be able to do what they want with their body, so should all of us be battling with Congress to say we have the right to utilize any medication, any plant that God gave us. 
if you don't like it, tough. But again, that's why I made you take the oath. Can't just shake your head, look at me with those eyes and say, I agree with you. I hate talking to the choir. Y'all look at me like, yeah, you ain't kidding about that. You ain't got nothing to do. But I want you to leave here mad enough to say, I got to do something. I'm going to keep up the fight. I have used multiple. I'm involved in so many different things. I've been involved in ensuring that we as a nation don't leave our soldiers, sailors, airmen, coast guardmen, marines, don't leave them imprisoned in prisons around the world. I'm working on four of them right now. I've already worked really hard to get four out of prison from some of the toughest prisons in the world. I'm working on a project right now that is one of the only certified cures for PTSD on the planet. It's a program protocol. It's called RTM, certified by the ISTSS. It's the international governing body for psychological protocols that literally has remitted all PTSD symptoms in nine out of 10 of the people who go through the protocol in as little as five hours without any medication. Now you would think that this is something that all of us who keep saying, oh, <laughs> thank you for your service, I support the troops. You would think that all those on the other side of the aisle would support this. Do you know, <laughs> this is crazy. In the last three weeks, this organization that I'm working with was reached out to by both Poland and Ukraine. We have already trained 25 clinicians in Poland and Ukraine. We just raised enough money about a week ago to train now 150 other Polish and Ukrainian clinicians who will be working not only with combat veterans for PTSD, but all the forms of PTSD coming out of this war right now. And our VA won't even give us a meeting. We got 20 of our soldiers a day taking their lives. I had a conversation two weeks ago with the Secretary of the Navy. He's now called me back two times, working with, supposedly with his Surgeon General, who's going to give us an answer in the next couple of weeks as to whether or not we can implement this. We are saving the lives of people in another country that hated us. And you won't even let me save the lives of our soldiers here. So I'm working on projects like that. I'm working on advanced research in, in exosomal, sorry, ex, mesenchymal exosomes. A little confused. I'm working on projects right now to help our veteran community get their just due. So I'm a little busy trying to stay as focused on cannabis as I possibly can. My journey with cannabis has been up and down, up and down, just in case you don't know why it even started. started for me again, really, almost 40 years ago, 41 years, 42 years ago. But the cannabis itself journey was 22 years ago when I got diagnosed with MS. After I had a doctor... A couple of doctors literally prescribed for me any level of opioid that I wanted and almost got myself addicted to the point that my, my kidneys almost shut down. And I had this one doctor who was smart enough to say, I'm done with you. I'm not writing any more prescriptions for you for any opioids. I heard about this stuff called cannabis. If you check it out, you know, you might, might find some relief. Checked it out. And three days after using it and trying to use it medicinally. I got relief where nothing else had relieved some of my symptoms. I walk around in constant neuropathic pain. However, I'm able to keep it in check. Put it where it's supposed to be for me. I am absolutely 100% convinced it's the cannabis that does that. So I will keep fighting for others like me. Give them a chance. I got to beg you to do the same. Listen, $75 billion last year, more than 
there's enough money in this industry for us, all of us. That shouldn't be your concern. What your concern should be is, you know, a life, a living is made from what you get. A life is made by what you give. Start remembering it's time for this industry to give and really give. You're going to be able to learn so much here in the next couple of days. Please enjoy all of the speakers, all the information. Try to go up online or wherever you do all your communications and share some of the truth with as many as you can because it is true. Truth shall set us free. The more and more of us who know the truth about cannabis, the more who will back us at the polls to get the decisions made the way we need them. Thank you all for listening. Have a great conference. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin. And I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.